Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Season 5 kicks off in June, but this is a special My Comic Shop country-themed edition of the podcast. And joining me today is my wife and producing partner, Stephanie Desiato. Steph, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be back on the show. I mean, there's really no one else who could be on this episode with me. Uh, You were a sounding board throughout the entire making of the movie. You were physically with me. Uh, on all but a couple of the days of filming, you did the lighting. Uh, you listened very, very patiently over years now at this point <laughs> as I've been talking about this project. So you very much earned the uh, producer credit that you got in the movie. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, it's my honor to be a producer of this wonderful piece. Um, and we had a lot of fun filming and discussing it and all throughout the process. Um, but I guess I do feel it's earned, especially the days when that involved travel and lugging around equipment. Yeah, there were, you know, a lot of, you know, long days and a lot of uh, logistical hurdles and challenges and and things that we, you know, worked through uh, to make this movie. I mean, this was a very independent production, (laughs) you know, and, uh, but, you know, having you along for the ride, uh, you know, this was, this was a first for me. Although you did, you were present for some of the filming of my previous documentary, Wacky Man, The Rise of a Puppeteer. Oh, a little bit, yeah. yes. But you were much more involved uh, with this, so it made all the difference. So yes. I thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, I was much more involved technically, where I, I don't think I had any real technical involvement in the previous project. Um, and yeah, it was a completely new experience for me. I mean, my hobby's photography, but dealing with, obviously, movie making is completely different. Yeah, but I feel like that that visual eye, you know, really lent itself very well to especially all of the work that you did with the lighting on this movie. I'd like to think so. Yeah. We'll see what, what uh, people's reactions are. <laughs> so, well, for of the few people who have seen it so far, we've gotten some uh, some really nice feedback. So I think uh, everything worked out well. Now, you know, we're, we're referring, of course, to My Comic Shop Country, which is my forthcoming completed feature-length documentary about comic book stores across the United States. And unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you know what I'm talking about, because I've been referencing it on the podcast uh, for years now. I ran a Kickstarter campaign to fund the movie during season three of my comic shop history. And of course, season three was the season uh, where, with the podcast, I went to comic book shops across the country, and I recorded episodes with the folks behind the counter. And that was very much to lay the groundwork for the Kickstarter and then the movie to follow. And, you know, I felt like it made sense to do it that way. And now in retrospect, I'm really glad that I did it that way. Um, Because I think having those long form conversations through the podcast where I have an hour, an hour and a half with these retailers, I think it it gave me a lot of insight and it gave me a lot of the pieces that would ultimately be the story that's told in the documentary. And obviously it allowed us uh, to scope out a lot of these stores, to build relationships with a lot of these stores. And, uh, you know, so when it came time to reaching out to them for filming and all of that, like so much of the groundwork had already been laid. And I think, um, I mean, maybe the Kickstarter would have succeeded either way, but I think it definitely helped feed into that because people had a sense of what the movie would be 
by virtue of having the podcasts to listen to. So it made for more work because, you know, a lot of these stores we went to twice, <laughs> you know, first to record and then to film. But I think overall it made for a, you know, a better finished product than if I had just went into film cold. Definitely. I mean, it was, I think, great research, um, to put it in, in those terms, uh, going and talking and finding out just more information about what these retailers were doing on a day-to-day basis and their overall um, goals and their pet journeys to where they are today. And I think it gave you a better sense of what the direction of the documentary should be. And I think that that helped it in that to give it a little more direction. So yeah. you knew what you were getting into. And as far as going to places multiple times uh, returning for actual filming I think that also helped where you had the rapport already in interviewing um, these retailers so it made for a better conversation and on this on screen and I have to say and we you know we, we discussed this with with a friend of ours recently I really do think having you with me uh, helped disarm the participants a little bit. I mean, I, I, I like to think I make a good impression and, and certainly that, you know, over the course of a conversation, they would warm up to me. But I really feel like we got there faster by virtue of, of us being there together. Because I feel like they, they saw you and they were like, all right, this guy must be all right. Right? I, um, it was my, maybe I, I'm projecting, but I felt that. Maybe. Well, I'm glad if I could, if I made you feel more comfortable or you noticed that, you know, I'm happy to have played that role. Um, I don't know that I noticed a difference because I would have nothing to compare it to. Um, but I think, yes, overall, there's probably generally credit to that idea of, okay, if you're being approached by one man versus a couple versus, you know, a, you know, that uh, gives a little bit different feel. I don't know about maybe credibility, which I think you mentioned. Right. So one of the reasons that I wanted to put out this episode today so it's Monday, April 15th, and one week ago, I released the trailer to My Comic Shop Country. And the response has really exceeded uh, any expectations that I had for it. Um, I-, I figured people would like it, and I don't say that in an arrogant way, but I think it, you know, I knew I was, I was really stacking it with, <laughs> with a lot of cool footage and shots of stores and sound bites from, you know, creators like Mark Wade and Brandon Montclair. Like, I figured people would be kind of excited about it, but I didn't think that it would reach as many people as it did necessarily. So, I mean, as we're sitting down to record this, um, you know, across social media platforms, I mean, it's in the tens of thousands of views. For me, that's, that's amazing. I mean, you know, if, if the Avengers Endgame trailer hit that, it'd be a massive disappointment, (laughs) but you know, for, for a little independent documentary about comic book shops, I mean, I think it's great. And I, it really, it's very gratifying because it's something that I've known all along that there's an audience for that something like this and seeing that kind of reach and that's organic reach. I mean, I didn't, I didn't run any Facebook ads or anything like that. I mean, this was just people sharing it and it, it was amazing. Yeah. The response was great as far as just a number of views, but also the people who were sharing and commenting um, that people are excited about this because this is something that people are passionate about. Yeah. I mean, and that passion, I think, is, you know, certainly a driving theme in the movie. And I I think it's something that, you know, people have heard in in the podcast. And certainly if you're in and of this world of comic books, I mean, that passion is really what unites all of us. So, uh, so again, one week ago, uh, I released the trailer. And, you know, I I noticed an uptick in the number of downloads of the podcast, which is great. So hopefully we have some new people who are listening to the show. 
And that was kind of one of the other reasons why I wanted to put out an episode today uh, to celebrate, because today is the four-year anniversary of the debut of the podcast. So uh, four seasons (laughs) are now complete, and we're heading into season five. And you know, it's the sort of thing, I've said this numerous times uh, over the years, but for people who, who might be new to the show, you know, this show was born out of the closing of my local comic shop. And, you know, I, I had made a documentary about that store years earlier. And when the store was closing, I knew I wanted to do something creative to, to chronicle the end, but I didn't know what it would be. And I toyed with the idea of doing a documentary epilogue, but it didn't feel right. And so I had this idea to do the podcast and originally it was just going to be, you know, 10 episodes about the closing of the store. And that was it. In the back of my mind, I kind of figured we'd we'd do more beyond that. I mean, I bought all the equipment. So clearly this was, you know, an investment that I was making. But, you know, initially it was just kind of like, we'll do these episodes. It'll be a podcast event and that'll be it. And then 10 episodes became 12 and a Christmas special and, and then all of these seasons. And, you know, kind of reinventing the show each season has been a lot of fun. You know, we did a season on collecting, we did a season on comic shops across the country, and then most recently we did a season on collect- on uh, comic conventions. But that was really where, you know, where all of this started. And as early as the end of the first season, as I was looking ahead to what the show could become, there was this idea of exploring other stores. <clears throat> and again, it took until season three before we actually did it, but that was something that... um I guess I was a little nervous about because, you know, I had spent so much time in my store, right? And I had this very defining experience at at Alternate Realities. And, you know, I I didn't know if I would be able to sort of capture the same thing at, at other places. A, I didn't know if it necessarily existed at other places. And B, I didn't know if I would be able to, to really get at it, not being a part of those particular communities. And, you know, between the podcast and, and now this documentary, I think that's been one of the most gratifying things about this is seeing that these communities do exist at these other stores. You know, I still like to think there was something special about alternate realities, but that these communities do exist elsewhere and that, uh, you know, I really felt taken in uh, and embraced by so many of these stores. And uh, I feel like I'm a part of these communities as well and that we were able to capture it through the episodes and especially through the documentary. So... Uh, it really has been a journey over these, these past few years. And, you know, to everyone who's listened to these episodes, whether you listened from the start or you came on, uh, you know, along the way, or if you just started listening, you know, I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, if not for people listening and reaching out and, and all that, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily would have kept going and I'm so glad that I did because I've met so many people and I've had the opportunity to tell these stories. So to everyone who's been part of this journey, including and especially you, Steph, you know, I really just want to say thank you. Like, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, it's really been quite a journey that I've watched you go through, Start all starting really from the closing of AR. So it was like a phoenix from the ashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that, that is kind of a funny thing where, um, you know, ultimately, yes, it's still a sad thing that the store closed. But so much great stuff, you know, has come out of it. Uh, it. It's kind of this, I guess I sort of have mixed feelings now when I look back and I think about the end of the store, because again, there is still a lot of sadness and I miss, you know, the fact that it's not part of my routine anymore. But uh, again, all this other stuff that happened probably wouldn't have happened if not for that. So, you know, I'm sad that the store is gone, but also kind of grateful that it launched this 
larger creative odyssey. Absolutely. I mean, everything happens for a reason. That's true. <laughs> so, uh, so that's that's kind of how how we ended up here. So, you know, I wanted to do this episode today again to celebrate the release of the trailer and again the trailer's really been all over the place but on the off chance you haven't seen it yet it's pretty much everywhere but you can go to the my comic shop history facebook page you can go to my twitter and instagram at uh, desi westside you can go to the flat productions.com you can go to vimeo you can go to youtube uh, and you can watch the trailer if you haven't already and you know if you have people in your life who are into comics or even if they're not you know, feel free to tag them, feel free to send it to them. I'm really at this point trying to spread the word about this movie uh, as I move toward trying to secure distribution. And, and any any efforts to, uh, to help with that, uh, you know, are certainly uh, appreciated. And even if people are not into comics, comic books, comic book shops, um, it really touches, I think, each individual in a different way, even if they are not comic fans, per well, se. Well said. What a producer. It's true. And so that's kind of, you know, again, so really the, the, the last you know major reason why I wanted to do this episode today was to talk about the movie and, you know, give a little bit of insight into the making of the documentary and, and the finished product. And, you know, in terms of both the filming and the editing, there were a couple of really fine lines to walk and it was challenging and it really took a lot of thought and especially with the editing, you know, some trial and error, you know, you try it a couple of different ways and you see how the puzzle pieces fit together. But, you know, one of the things that was really important was to make a movie that really could be watched and enjoyed by everyone. So it's the sort of thing where if you're a comics fan, there's so much in this that I think you'll be excited about because you get to see, you know, a wide range of stores. You get to see uh, some personal collections. You get to hear from creators and other industry professionals. Like if you're a fan of this stuff, I think there's a lot that you'll be just excited to see and hear. But even if you're not, um, and, and that was sort of the line to walk in in the making of this, where you know you wanted to keep things interesting for people who um, already know a lot of this stuff. Who you know people who know that retailers get their comics from Diamond Distribution, but also make it accessible and give it enough context for people who don't and. You know, so far, uh, it's only a small group of people who have seen the completed movie, but we did uh, a small sort of focus group screening, uh, primarily for uh, for some people who are in the movie, from for some of the Kickstarter backers, and for some of our friends who, again, are not part of this world at all, but we wanted to show it to them as well. And we really got such nice reactions, and it, it really did seem to play well uh, with folks who are not into this, which, which was big. And I realized... I'm assuming most of the people listening to a show called My Comic Shop History probably are comic book fans, so that might not be something that they're so worried about. But, you know, for me, that was definitely a really, really important part of this. And really with all of my projects, with the exception of the book club uh, podcasts that I do occasionally, like none of it has really ever been about the comics. I mean, it's really more about the the people and the places. That's what, you know, has has always been, uh, you know, of interest to me. Not that I'm not interested in comics, but in terms of the stories that I want to tell, it really is more about the people uh, who are behind the counters and well, actually on both sides of the counters, uh, you know, at all these stores. So, you know, whether you're into this or not, I think there's a lot that you can you can sink your teeth into in this movie. Yeah. And those are typically the, the untold stories um, in this industry. And that's the other thing, too. I think it, this was I really feel like this was the right time for this documentary because you know, comic book characters are more prevalent than ever. And mainstream. And mainstream. And there's so much more awareness. The fact that 
you know, the average person on the street knows who Ant-Man is. You know, that's not something that that was the case even just a few years ago. So, you know, these characters are all over the place, but you're not necessarily seeing that translate to the comic shops. So there's this general awareness, but there's this sort of untapped side, this untapped piece of the story that now I was fortunate enough to be able to tell through this movie. Uh, so I, I think it's an interesting time. And, and, and certainly this idea of the movies being so popular, but comic shops still struggling in, in a lot of ways is, is absolutely something that's addressed in the movie. And for people who have watched the trailer, that's addressed in the trailer as well. And we have some art uh, by Nick Justice as a New Jersey uh, artist. And the, the image that you see in the trailer is, you know, a, a packed movie theater, a line out the door of people uh, there to see Avengers. And then we pan over and we see, you know, a deserted, <laughs> abandoned uh, comic shop. And obviously that's a more dramatic representation of what's going on. But I think it really gets at this idea. Yeah, the situation, to be clear, is not quite that dire. Um, <laughs> it was so artfully and beautifully displayed by Nick. Um, but that idea of just the 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 stark difference between what's going on in the movie world versus the the comic book world and that's the other you know i said before there were a few lines that i had to walk in this and that's definitely one of the other ones where in terms of the tone of the movie the movie's not just a celebration of comic shops i i do think it is a celebration of shops but it's not just that and i think if the movie were simply hey, comic shops are great and they're going to be around forever no matter what, that's kind of irresponsible and inaccurate um, because there are some very real and very severe challenges facing stores. At the same time, I definitely did not want this to be a doom and gloom look at stores because I don't think that's accurate either. I think there are challenges, but I think you see the stores in the movie in various ways, you know, trying to weather the, the current situation and remain viable and remain relevant and remain a part of people's routines. And so that was sort of this line to walk where, you know, a, a little bit of hope, but, but also a bit of, you know, the, the realities of this. And, you know, I, I think, and ultimately, obviously, this will be for the viewer to decide. I mean, I can't say, but I think the movie succeeds on that front. I think it's, I think it's fair. Um, and, you know, there are a number of there actually are a couple of debates, you know, in the movie. And I, it was really important to me to be able to present both sides, not editorialize that much on, on my part, but really present both sides and, and kind of leave it to the viewer to decide. Like, I, you know, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to get too much into the specifics of the movie because I want people to, you know, be able to just watch it for themselves. But, you know, for people who have listened to these podcasts, you know that a common gripe among retailers is ordering right? It's very challenging to order comics. They're ordering comics on a non-returnable basis months in advance based on limited information, right? But there's kind of a flip to all of these things too. And one of them is, you know, if comics weren't returnable, someone would pay for them one way or the other. Either the cover price would go up or retailers would get a lower discount or both. And so that counterpoint is represented in the movie from the publisher perspective. And you know, so again, it was really important to me to be able to, you know, present both sides. And I suppose maybe that's that's our lawyerly training. You and I both went to law school. We're not practicing attorneys, but we both have the degree and we both work at a law school. And 
I think it's a little bit of that, right? Because as an attorney, and I think this might be a little bit of a misconception about the profession, it's not just about arguing your side and that's it. It's being able to understand both sides of a case, of an argument, right? Mm-hmm. And being able to analyze and, and look at it objectively, and then at some point to serve your client and, and you know eventually argue one side or the other. But the initial step is looking at both sides, looking at it from all angles. Right, exactly. And so, you know, so that was definitely important to me. Now, again, it's called My Comic Shop Country. I worked in a comic shop for a long time. You know, it's very much so from the retailer perspective. But again, you do also have the perspective of the publisher, of the customer, of the creator. So that's all represented in the movie. And that was important to me to kind of have these other stakeholders present and represented in the movie. So it's, again, yes, ultimately... Uh, from the perspective of the retailers, but also with these other perspectives represented. And, uh, you know, I think it made for, you know, certainly a more interesting uh, story to tell. Sure. And both sides of that, the business aspect, but also not just focusing on the business aspect, but those things that make the comic shop really special and different from most other retail businesses. Yeah, exactly. And so I've kind of been... In talking about the movie and in, you know, writing the descriptions as I'm submitting it to film festivals and all of that, and even with the podcast before it, those have really been the, the the three pillars of this story: the business, the fandom, and the community. And that's sort of how you know the the movie is is organized around those three things. And so if you're you know if you're curious about the running of a comic shop, what goes on behind the scenes, if you want to see stores breaking down their uh, shipment of new books, like that's all represented there. You so know, who doesn't want to see that? Who did that? Well, those are our big action sequences in the movie. <laughs> so those boxes coming in. Um, so you know, so that's certainly you know a, a piece of it. But then you know, it, it's certainly not just that. And I think, you know, the fandom aspect of this, and I mentioned before, you know, the personal collections uh, and the collector behavior, you know, that's that's included in the movie as well. And I think that's important because it, it kind of helps to explain, you know, for those people who do go to the comic shop every week, week after week, year after year, uh, like clockwork, you know, that fandom and that collector mentality is is definitely at least part of what's fueling that. And so I wanted to represent that as well. And then, you know, the community. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, it's really about the people. And, you know, you you see the the conversations, to borrow a phrase from Rich Roney uh, from Alternate Realities, you know, the friendship and fun. You know, you see that at, at so many of these stores. And, you know, so those were really like the three pillars of the movie. Um, and, and things that I think kind of all work together to, to tell the story, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, I guess what else I can say about the movie, a couple of things that it's, that it's not. So, uh, one thing that it's not is it's not a series of profiles of stores. So it's not like, okay, here's five minutes on zap comics. And then here's five minutes on torpedo comics. It's, that's not the structure of the movie that, would be a different type of movie and that wasn't the type of documentary that I wanted to make. I think that there was a more interesting and more complex way to tell the story and and that's what I pursued which was really to tell the story of the local comic shop as an institution through the examples of these stores. So it's definitely not organized by shop. Certainly there are points in the movie where, you know, certain stores kind of carry the ball 
a little bit more, you know, during certain sections than others. You know, certainly when we talk about vintage back issues, you know, there are certain stores that specialize in that. And so you hear more from them during those segments than others. But, you know, it's definitely not a series of profiles. And uh, I think that's something that would lend itself more to an episodic show as opposed to a documentary film. And that's something that I might be interested in doing at some point. But, you know, for, for purposes of the movie, that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And again, I think it made for, you know, a more interesting film to organize it the way I did. It was definitely more work, you know, in retrospect, like it would have been a lot easier if it had just been, you know, these are the stores one after the other. And it's also the journey that I went on, you know, to go to all of these stores is sort of in the background, but it's not a, it's not a travel movie. It's not like, uh, you know, diners, drive-ins and dives where it's like, I'm pulling up in my car to each of these stores and, you know, going behind the counter and talking to them on screen. And critiquing them. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's not what, what this movie is. I, I am in it. And for people who saw the trailer, uh, you, you know, you saw me on screen. I'm not in it a lot though. Um, cause again, I, I'm behind the scenes. My journey is sort of happening, you know, behind the scenes, but through, you know, the, the, the questions that are asked and what's presented, uh, that's, I guess, sort of how you see it. But yeah, it's not a travel movie, uh, you know, in that sense, if that's what anyone was expecting, you know. I feel like that that could have been an interesting way to do it, but, you know, to be honest, with, with a two-person crew, uh, you know, that wasn't necessarily viable. Yeah, I think with the limitations of the crew and because there was two of us, how could we film everything um, and, and the time factor? was a limitation yeah so i mean in terms of the making of the movie so i ran the kickstarter campaign to fund it again during season three of the podcast which was in 2017 so fall 2017 was the kickstarter campaign and i took off the month of december uh, i think the, the campaign ended uh late october november we went to bnh uh in manhattan and we purchased the equipment we made two trips there first we did some recon then we went back and we actually bought all the equipment. That was a big day. Mm-hmm. It was an exciting day. Yeah. I mean, for anyone who's not been to B&H, um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite the operation. I mean, pretty much any electronic. Uh, I mean, whether, I mean, yes, they have the high-end cameras and all of that, but, and lighting equipment and sound equipment. But even if you were just looking to get laptops or, I don't know why I'm doing a commercial for B&H, but <laughs> <laughs> for all of your electronic needs. No, but I, just, just to illustrate that, uh, you know, it's... Uh, there's a lot going on there. But we did that in November 2017. I took off the month of December. I remember that was a that was a peaceful month after mm-hmm. uh, season three of the podcast, running around to all those stores, doing all the crowdfunding, getting the equipment. You know, that, that month was a nice breather. And then really hit the ground running in 2018. Uh, the first few months were really about the planning, planning, testing out the equipment, reaching out to the stores, making a schedule. Uh, I, you know, I, I think I, I posted this on Facebook, but you don't realize how short a year is, you know, until you sit down to map out something like this, because, you know, there I was in January planning out, you know, all of these shop visits, you know, into June and July and August. And I'm like, and then the year's over, like it's, it's crazy. And it went by so quickly. But, uh, so for the, I would say the winter of 2018, that was really the planning, the pre-production. I remember, I think you were either on a, was a vacation or a conference. I think it was a vacation, right? You went to Disney, mm-hmm. right? And uh, 
it snowed and, and the school that we work at closed. So I had a very well-timed snow day because it gave me a little extra time to, to play around with the equipment and start testing everything out. And kind of on that note, uh, you know, people have had very nice things to say about uh, sort of the, the production quality of the movie. And yeah, I appreciate that. And there are a number of things that went into that, of course. I mean, this is now the fourth documentary that I've made. So I've learned a lot and, you know, I should be getting better. So <laughs> I'm glad that I am. Uh, obviously, having you, you know, handling the lighting, which is something that I did to varying <laughs> degrees in the in the previous movies, but really, you know, really focusing on that and taking as much time as we did to set up at each of those stores, you know, that made a big difference. And then, of course, you know, having better equipment to work with, you know, uh, I went from a $600 camera to a $5,000 camera. I mean, it's it's a difference. And that wouldn't have been possible with all without all the Kickstarter backers. Exactly. So, you know, I definitely, you know, and actually, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, Yes, thank you to everyone who who pledged. And I really felt, I mean, I always feel a degree of responsibility when I'm making one of these documentaries to myself because it's my name on it and I want it to be something that I'm proud of. I feel a sense of responsibility to the people who are in it, you know, because there's there's an element of trust that's needed there, you know. I mean, obviously, I have built relationships with a lot of these people now, so I think they know what they're getting when they're part of a Flat Squirrel production, but... You know, there's there's still that degree of trust. They don't know how they're going to come across on film. They don't know how I'm going to cut this together, and so you know, I always feel a sense of responsibility to uh, you know to sort of do them all justice. And this time in particular, I mean, I always feel a responsibility to the audience, but even more so this time because people literally gave me their money, <laughs> you know, to make this movie. And so uh, I feel like I put more pressure on myself for this one, you know, probably than any of the others. And I think maybe that made it a little bit more stressful at times, but again, I do think it made for, for a better product. Not, not that I tried harder because I always put everything into these movies, but, uh, I, I guess I knew too, that I was playing on a larger stage this time. Like I knew that as opposed to making a documentary about my specific store, you know, I was representing all of these other stores across the country and I knew they would be watching and I knew their customers would, you know, would hopefully be watching. And um, again, even just by virtue of, of having done the Kickstarter and have gotten the press that I did, like I, I knew there would be, and it proved to be true. I mean, when the trailer came out, the fact that it reached as many people as it did. So, you know, I think all of that um, was just kind of in the back of my head. And, and again, not in a negative way, but really fueling me, I think, to an extent. You know, did I seem, did I seem stressed though during the, during the making of it? I think you handled it <laughs> in stride, but I suppose, um, but nothing out of the, the normal. I think you were as stressed as one would expect trying to uphold and satisfy the expectations <clears throat> of yourself and of the audience. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I mean, so you know, winter 2018 was the pre-production and then spring and summer 2018 was the actual production. Uh, we started filming the first weekend of April, uh, which is my birthday weekend. And we were in Chicago, uh, to film and also to go to the C2E2 convention where I moderated a retailer panel. So that was a, that was a packed weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that was the start of filming, and we started with Challengers, Comics, and Conversation, and interviewed the co-owner, uh, Patrick Brower. And 
you know, so that's where it started. And shortly thereafter, we had a road trip to North Carolina, where we spent a few days uh, at Acme Comics. And we also, and it's, you know, it's really funny, because, you know, Acme was really the, the main reason that we went, you know, to Greensboro, but uh, there's another store in the area, Parts Unknown. And we went there one afternoon. And I don't mean to, to paint it like, oh, it was an afterthought, but uh, it was it was the sort of thing where we knew we were going to be there, and I looked to see what other stores were in the area that we could possibly incorporate as well, and I'm really glad we did because, you know, the owner there, John Hitchcock, he he provided more of that old-school perspective. Uh, it's represented elsewhere in the movie, but I think he, he um, really was kind of a, a driving force behind that, and getting his perspective uh, was, was really valuable, you know, so that, that was something that worked out really well. And so we did. So we did that North Carolina trip as a road trip. Uh, I guess we did it partly because we knew we had the equipment to lug, and we figured mm-hmm. it'd be easier to do that than flying. We again had had just flown to to Chicago, and we also were able to hit a comic shop in Delaware on the way back up. So I think there were a few reasons why it made more sense to drive. And we got to visit some family in Baltimore. Yeah, we passed through, uh, yeah, Baltimore, and we, you know, we stayed uh, with your sister and her family. So, yeah, so there were a few reasons why we did it. It was a long drive, though. It was. I have to say, especially on that trip, there have been, but there have been a few instances where we've split driving, and for whatever reason whether it's subconscious or I just have the luck of the draw, I would do what was supposed to be half, but then either due to traffic or a fallen tree or a truck turning over, unfortunately, that it just, your legs ended up being a lot more tortuous tortuous than um, the legs that I was driving. I think that happened in our trek out from LA to, or Vegas to LA as well. Yeah, I didn't have the best luck with that. Yeah, well, that's okay. It's you know I brought it upon myself by by taking on this project. So at I least guess. I drove the other half. Yeah. Even if even if I didn't hit all the traffic, the bad traffic. Yeah. No, I mean I have to say, I mean you know being able to split the driving, having someone to help me with the equipment, and just having the company, you know, really, it, you know, it made a huge difference. I mean, I I feel like I would have done this anyway. Like I had the fire to make this movie was there, but it would have been vastly you know more challenging and definitely Very not as much experience. fun. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so now I'm glad that, you know, you were able to come along, uh, for the ride, you know, but, so we did that as a road trip, you know, um, later on, uh, we went to, uh, Las Vegas and then we flew to Vegas and then we drove from Vegas to, uh, to LA, uh, for some filming and kind of on that note, uh, you know, one of the questions that, uh, has been asked, you know, whether at the screening or on social media, it was about the selection of stores like how did i pick the stores for this movie and now people have seen the trailer so they know and the the poster more specifically so they know 20 shops are featured but that was a question uh initially too how many how many stores even during filming every time we went to a new place and we were setting up like so how many stores are you going to and i never had i never had and have an exact count uh which is kind of weird i guess you would expect that i would but uh part of it was that some things were kind of always in flux and part of it was just that uh I don't know. I had bigger, <laughs> bigger things to think about than, than keeping a tally. Yeah, than than keeping a tally necessarily. But there it's are. It's about t- quantity, not quality. Well, so it's about no, it's no. about quality, <laughs> not quantity. Well, so that's that's an important piece of this. So, in terms of which stores and how many stores, uh, I knew from the very very beginning that uh, 
it was not a, a numbers game. Uh, that I knew that the secret, not the secret, but the key to this movie wasn't going to be throwing a hundred stores uh, at viewers. I knew that it was much more about the, again, the quality, the story, that it was about finding uh, the right shops and a, and a range and a variety of shops. I knew that was going to be paramount. I don't know if you remember this. This goes back quite a bit, but I think in the original, like original iteration of this project in my head, I was only thinking about featuring like a handful of stores. Do you remember this? Vaguely, right. I think, yeah, the list probably expanded as time went on. Yeah, I mean, the original idea was really, I figured I would represent sort of like the four main quadrants of the country. You know, we would do Northeast, we would do the South, we would do the Midwest, and we would do the West Coast. Like that was kind of the idea to really kind of just have four, like really four or five main stores and tell the story that way. And obviously it grew. And I'm glad that it did. I mean, having having more variety, uh, you know, was certainly helpful. But yeah, I knew that this wasn't a matter of like, oh, I got to get as many stores as possible. It was really about you know, uh, telling the story. And if we could have, we would have gone to the Southwest region of the U.S. as well, not to minimize their importance. No, not at all. Not at all. So, see, it's good to have you here. See, if I say something that might get me in trouble, there you are to, uh, (laughs) you know, to to step in. But in terms of selecting the stores, so this was very much like a balance of a number of different factors. So you always knew that Jermaine, a.k.a. Lord Retail, was on the list, though. I mean, he was a, a no-brainer. Of course. Yeah, there were some that were that were slam dunks. And, you know, in, in picking the stores, I knew that I wanted a variety in terms of geography, duration, and uh, sort of area of specialization, you know, if you will. Uh, Unleash. So, yeah, uh, so there was that. So I wanted to balance all of that. And then at the same time, though, there were a lot of you know, there was just the logistical, practical reality of this. So I raised $15,000 through the Kickstarter campaign. Really, all of that went to the equipment. And maybe there was some left over for some of the reward uh, fulfillment. But uh, basically, all of the... There wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll go with that. That's probably being generous. (laughs) But so, uh, really, all the travel costs were on us. Now, thankfully... I'm in law school admissions, and I have the opportunity to uh, travel to recruit students. So I was fortunate enough, and, and with the podcast the, the previous year as well, I was fortunate enough to sort of uh, combine and kind of utilize work trips to fit in some recording or filming. And some other travel plans, like for a friend's wedding. Exactly. So, uh, so you know, there was that very practical piece of this, too, where, you know, there were places that we went because it, it, it just happened to work out. It, probably the most amazing piece of this to me is Las Vegas because there's a conference that uh, I go to pretty much every year uh, for law school admissions reps and the location varies year to year. So one year we went, it was in Disney, which you were very excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, another year it was in uh, Palm Desert. And so that, that was the year that I had those two Palm Desert stores on the podcast um, and anyway, so last year it happened to be in Las Vegas and kind of coinciding with that, uh, Ralph Matthew, the, the owner of alternate reality comics in Vegas, uh, he was one of the Kickstarter backers and he selected the podcast commercial reward, 
Uh, so I found out about his store really through that. And Hi, Ralph. Hey, Ralph. And I mean, of course, it's it's especially fitting given that the store that started all of this for me was Alternate Realities in New York. So to find Alternate Reality Comics in, in Vegas was, was kind of funny. And then uh, Gabe, uh, one of the workers at Torpedo Comics, also in Vegas, uh, he reached out to me over Twitter and said, like, hey, like, you know, you should come and check out the store. So it was this really uh, serendipitous uh, turn of events where this conference was in Vegas and I had these stores who had reached out in various ways. Um, so and the, you know, those two stores get a fair amount of screen time. And so that that was something that just happened to work out really well. And once we had that work trip taking us to, to Vegas, uh, then we, the, the rest of the, the trip was on us, but we, we drove to, uh, to LA. That was like a four hour drive, uh, through the desert, through the desert. Yeah. Not, uh, I mean, for people who've done the drive, you know, but yeah, there's not, not a ton going on there. Casinos sprinkled on throughout the, uh, trek. Yeah. Uh, and then while we were, so we drove to, uh, LA and uh, what was cool about that was uh, three of my uh, best friends from high school uh, all live out there. They each moved out there at various points uh, over the past few years. Uh, so we were able to go out uh, with them and their significant others uh, for dinner the first night we were there. Uh, so that was really one of, the, one of the big trips. So yeah, Chicago for that C2E2 weekend, uh, North Carolina and Delaware uh, was our road trip. The work conference uh, to Vegas the road trip to LA. Uh, we did Philly. We did Amalgam Comics and Coffee House in Philly. Uh, again, that was when we had, that was a wedding weekend, I believe. Yes. That we did that. And then obviously the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut stores, those were easy enough to do uh, here and there as, um, you know, just as, as day trips. Mm-hmm. Am I leaving anything out? I feel like those were the, uh, those were the major ones. We had nine states represented. Uh, I think I've hit... Uh, most, if not all of them, <laughs> in this discussion. Um, but so that was kind of what went into selecting the stores. And obviously, I had done my research through the podcast. So there were certain stores, yes, like uh, Acme in North Carolina, that I knew you know, I definitely wanted to, to represent. One of the uh, questions that was asked, because uh, I put out a call on social media before we sat down to record, you know, does anyone have any questions about the movie? And I, I got a few. And I've already been addressing some of them in, in our discussion already and, and others I can kind of uh, point out now. But uh, one of our, our listeners asked, you know, was it, uh, was it hard to get the store owners to agree to be in the movie? And no. I mean, generally speaking, no. People were pretty receptive and excited to, to being part of it. I mean, some were really excited. Others, I think, were more kind of like, yeah, sure, <laughs> you know, not really knowing what, what to expect necessarily. To be honest, it's been harder to get some of the stores to uh, share the trailer and participate in the promotion of the movie. Only a few. The majority of the stores that are in the movie have been amazing about spreading the word, sharing it on the store's page and their personal page. And it's, you know, it's, it's great. And, you know, I mean, yes, out of my own self-interest, I, I want as many people to share this as possible, but you know, for the stores as well. I mean, it's an opportunity for some, some cross promotion and, you know, ultimately I, I think it would be an exciting thing for them, you know, that, you know, to be part of, of a documentary film celebrating their industry, you know, and, and there have been a lot of stores that are not in the movie who've been sharing it. And, and that's been amazing too. I mean, there was a store in, in Australia uh, that reached out to me 
uh, and, and, you know, really had some nice things to say and, and said, if I ever wanted to do an international version of this, I could go there. Uh, I don't know if that's on the horizon, <laughs> at least not yet, but, uh, it would certainly be interesting. But, uh, but yeah, so it's been a little, uh, just a few of the stores, uh, you know, and I've, I've reached out to them and I really haven't gotten a response. So, you know, I don't know. I hope that they saw it. I hope that they liked it. I hope that maybe that, you know, they're, they're telling some customers about it, but, uh, you know, I think it's, it's something that their communities would be excited about. Yeah. I hope they have, have seen it. We'll chalk it up to busy schedules and, and life getting in the way. Um, but yeah, let's hope that they, there wasn't something that, that turned them off from it, which I, I can't imagine that there, there would be. Yeah. And I think I was diplomatic. I'm not trying to like sound like sour grapes or anything like that. And let me say this too, even the ones that haven't necessarily participated in the promotion yet, because hopefully it's still to come, you know, they, they were still giving of their time. You know, they had us in their stores. They provided some great content. So, you know, uh, it really, in all seriousness, like I'm, I'm very grateful for, for all of the stores who let us come in and, and tell their story, you know, cause they, they really were, were all giving of their time. And some really went above and beyond. Like we were at uh, West Village Comics in the city. That's a store that uh, when we went to film was only a month old. And I interviewed the owner. And I also interviewed comic book creator Brandon Montclair at the store as well. He he did a signing thereafter, which I was also able to film. I didn't realize this because my back was to the door. Um, but they shut down the store for the entire time we were doing those interviews and I didn't realize until we were done and I turned and I saw people outside, I felt bad because I didn't, you know, I didn't expect them to do that. Um, but that was, that was very generous of them. It certainly helped not having any, any interruptions while we were filming, but I didn't even realize. Did you know? I don't think I, yeah, realized until after either when people were walking by and, and kind of peeking in and, and wanted to come in. Yeah, so that, you know, that was really, uh, you know, that was really very generous uh, of them. We were fortunate in a number of instances, um, you know, I might be forgetting some, but certainly at Acme, at, um, oh, Alternate Reality Comics, there were a few where we were able to record before or after hours. Uh, Escape Pod Comics on Long Island as well, we, we recorded uh, in the morning before the store opened. Uh, that's always the ideal scenario because you don't have to contend with everything that goes on when a comic shop is open. Uh, so there were a few instances where, again, the owners were especially gracious to come in early or stay late to do that. A number we, you know, we uh, filmed um, the sit-down interviews while the stores were in operation. Uh, so that made it, it, that made it a little more challenging. <laughs> um, challenging, but, not, but gave it a different dynamic. Yeah, a little bit more, I guess, a little bit more of a... Uh, although I don't know that you necessarily... Maybe in a couple of instances, like you hear some of the activity in the background, but for the most part, like we didn't do that, unless I'm forgetting, we didn't do that on a Wednesday at any of the places, No, you know, so the stores were, you know, were relatively, uh, you know, on the quiet side. Um, it was definitely, I guess if I were, if my stress came through at any point, I, I think dealing with some of the, the, you know, each place we went was a different space and a different amount of space to work in. And, you know, it was a new filming environment every place that we went. And yes, we had been to a bunch of the stores uh, with the podcast, but that was for a different purpose. And there were a lot of things we didn't really need to think about when we were there for that. Um, so, you know, even if it were a place that we had been before, you know, we were still looking at it in a new way, thinking about the lighting, thinking about 
what was going to be in the shot and all of that. And one thing that I, I made a very conscious decision about early on was in terms of framing the interview shots and setting all of that up, I wanted to showcase as much of the store as possible. I really wanted to make use of the fact that we were at these places. Obviously, you see the store through the action footage and the B-roll and all of that that's throughout the movie. But even for the interviews, I wanted to show as much of the store as possible. I think it also helps the viewer to kind of place the store in its context if they see the owner and they can kind of recognize the store from the other Put footage. Put them I think in it, context. Yeah, I think it helps to kind of forge those connections a little bit more. Um, but, you know, that was that was probably one of the most challenging pieces of this was each place we went. Working with the angles and yeah. a tripod and light stands take up a lot more room than you'd think and getting the right distance between the subject and the and the camera and making sure certain things either were in the in the shot or not in the shot. Yeah, very much so. So, you know, that that was definitely challenging. And, you know, again, for the most part you know, time wasn't so much of an issue. Like we had enough time to to get set up. There were a couple of instances where we got to the store and the retailer was like, oh, hey, by the way, I got to leave in an hour. And so, you know, we had to scramble a little bit, but thankfully that wasn't much of an issue. But uh, we were trying to be efficient, as efficient as possible. Yeah. And especially when we were doing it during store hours, you know, we didn't want to be disruptive. So certainly trying to get through everything uh, as efficiently as possible. And again, just in terms of the amount of space, like I mentioned, West Village Comics, you know, it's it's a shop in the city. It's not there's not a lot of space. Like it was very very tight. Uh, so that was that was probably one of the you know just in terms of a like a day to day challenge of the filming was just kind of navigating each of these spaces and finding the best way to shoot the interviews. And then even with the action footage, the counter, the retail counter. Uh, is not always the most conducive. Uh, you know, I was like running back and forth, you know, trying to get different angles and everything. Uh, and some counters are huge. So, it was, uh, you know, it was a little bit trickier uh, than in other places. But uh, thankfully, you know, it was, and looking at the finished product, I'm glad that, you know, we spent the amount of time that we did to get it right. Yeah, and luckily they were cool lights, so we weren't blaring uh, hot lights on our, our subjects. Correct. They were bright, though, which most people yes. commented on. <laughs> we heard that a lot. Like, oh, these lights are so bright. Um, well, we want to be able to see you. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was a common comment. Uh, a lot of stores typically have the television uh, or radio going during the day. So we had to ask stores to turn those. Everyone was very accommodating. It wasn't an issue, but uh, yeah, that was something we, you know, we had to ask of stores. Uh, There's actually a little line in the the final cut of the movie about that. Yeah, that actually yeah, that actually played into uh, a comment about one of the retailers, uh, so that that worked out uh, really nicely. Uh, in terms of the lighting, were there any stores and or subjects that you especially enjoyed lighting, or that you found particularly interesting? Hmm. I mean, they all had their different challenges. I mean, and and pretty much all the stores with the colors of the books or toys or collectibles, whatever it may be. Um, you know, made for a, a an interesting background, um, and and everyone and all the subjects, especially when we finally put them in the seat, they were very patient and oh yeah, um, understanding. So they made our jobs easy. Um, I don't know who had the most kind of interesting background or fun background. I mean, I have to say they. I mean, overall, I'm happy with how they all turned out. I think you know, amalgam. 
uh, turned out especially well because it was the space. It was probably the largest. Yeah, it was a large space and the the brick wall mm-hmm. in the background and then the blue wall like underneath it. It I think just the this space and the again the brick and the color uh it just kind of all blended together very nicely. Yeah, it looked great and it's not something you usually see in in a comic shop. Right. But yeah, that was a cool thing. I think it it really in in every case, I mean it made for a colorful background having you know, the wall of new comics or uh, graphic novel shelves or toys or what, you know, whatever it was, uh, you know, kind of having that as the backdrop for, you know, for these, these interviews. Uh, I'll take some of the other questions that I've gotten uh, since I put the trailer out there. So, oh, uh, people have asked, you know, if there were stores that I wanted to get to, but didn't or couldn't. And, I mean, I, yes and no, I guess. I mean, they're... You know, a store like Mile High Comics, for example, that's one of the most famous comic shops out there. It's in Colorado. It's a huge space. It's like a, it's a very large operation. You know, would it have been cool to include that? You know, sure. Um, this kind of goes back to the other question about getting store owners to agree. Uh, and someone did ask, uh, you know, did I reach out to Midtown Comics in the city? I did. Um, I had had them on the podcast uh, the year before. And I did reach out to them about appearing in the movie. Um, I didn't get a response to that. I didn't pursue it further than that. For a couple of reasons, I guess. You know, when I did the podcast, uh, I'm very happy with how the episode turned out. But it was a different type of experience. Like, they have more of a corporate structure where they have a marketing department. And I had to go through them. And their, you know, PR guy was, was on the episode uh, with us, and his name's Henry, and he was great. Like, we had a great conversation. He's, he's someone who loves comics. But, you know, speaking to the PR person is different than uh, getting a more uh, unfiltered... On the ground. ...perspective. And I kind of got the sense that if I were to film, it would be a very similar type of thing. Uh, so that's why I didn't pursue it. And, you know, they're a different type of store. And again, like I said, I did want a variety of stores, but I feel like I already achieved that. And... You know, I guess stores like Midtown or Mile High, I think they're, not that they get enough attention as it is, but they they are featured, uh, you know, elsewhere, you know, and I feel I felt like this was an opportunity to kind of shine a spotlight on, on some other stores, you know? More of the mom and pop owners, sometimes, sometimes literally, but sometimes not literally, um, uh, stores, yeah, that are independently owned. Yeah. And I mean, definitely with, with Midtown, we had a great time when, when we were there and they were all great people. Um, but with one of their stores being in Times Square in the middle of Manhattan, it's a much different experience than I think what the vast majority of stores, you know, they're they're re- not representative of those stores. And, and I'm sure they have their own challenges, but mm-hmm. not the same challenges, um, you know, with all the foot traffic and and regulars just within Manhattan that, that they see on a daily basis. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, so again, that was why I kind of didn't pursue that beyond that point. Um, I mean, in terms of, I think it's more, uh, places or areas of the country that it would have been nice to get to if we had more time and more of a travel budget. I mean, the time too, you know, uh, again, in certain cases I was able to, again, film after uh, a work event on a business trip, but, you know, we also took plenty of vacation time, uh, you know, to do this filming as well. So, you know, there was a certain limit as far as how many filming days we really had to work with. 
Uh, so if there were more time and, and more of a travel budget, again, I mean, it, I would have loved to get to Texas. And actually, one of the stores there, uh, Hive Comics, uh, they were one of our uh, Kickstarter backers, and they're featured in the credits of the movie. That was the the reward that they picked. And, you know, it would have been great to go there. Uh, Florida. I mean, like, there are other parts of the country would have been interesting to see what the comic shop scene is like. You know, we, we checked out some stores when we were in uh, Hawaii on our honeymoon. That's what I was going to say, that it would have been nice to go back to Hawaii. But. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's the sort of thing. Like, there are other parts of the country that, you know, would have been cool to go to. Not so much that there were specific stores that I was like, oh, I, I'm dying to go there and I, I just can't. Um, but that being said, I don't feel like, and again, going back to the whole quality over quantity thing, I think through the stores that I featured, I was able to get to get at what I what I was looking for to tell the story. So I don't feel like the the story suffered by not having other stores represented. Right. I don't think there were any gaps in in the content that you were looking for and, and ended up with. Right. So uh, again, people had asked how many stores are actually in it. So of course, uh, if you've seen the poster, and by the way, that poster is by uh, Thomas Boatwright. He, um, he, I mean, he's an artist, and he also uh, works at Acme Comics in North Carolina, and he knocked it out of the park. I was so happy with that poster; it really captured. I gave him the photo that you had taken of me in front of the empty alternate realities, and he based it on that, and I think it really captured the sense of of journey and adventure. You and know, the emotion. And the emotion of the closed uh, shop behind me. Uh, and of course, our tagline is 20 stores, nine states, one legendary journey. Uh, so it was 20 stores that, uh, that were featured in the movie. Uh, someone also asked if Steve Odo made it into the movie. Uh, of course, if you've seen the trailer and if you watched it all the way to the end, uh, you know that he is in the trailer, he's in the movie. I don't want to say too much about his presence and the role of alternate realities in the documentary, because I want people to kind of uh, see that for themselves when they watch the movie. But I will say it's not an accident that the trailer opens with me in front of the uh, closed AR and that it ends with Odo in this mysterious warehouse location. Uh, alternate realities is definitely represented in the movie maybe a little bit more than people might be expecting. I don't know quite what their expectations are going to be, but I think, you know, it certainly is a presence sort of sprinkled throughout the movie. Uh, I think certain instances might be a little surprising in terms of the form that that takes, but uh, it, it was an important part of the story. And I think that, you know, as we're, we're talking to all these stories about the challenges that they're facing, right, there is this threat that, you know, whether it's the individual stores or the comic shop in general, that it, it could go away. I mean, right, there's always that that danger. And so, you know, through alternate realities, you get to see, well, what's on the other side, like when a store does close. Um, so, so yes, yeah, Steve is in the movie. And yes, alternate realities is represented. And as far as exactly how much and exactly what form that takes, uh, I'll leave that uh, for people to, to see to see it when it comes out. One of our most dedicated listeners, Cornell, uh, out in California, he had asked a few questions. I think a couple I've already answered. Uh, he had asked how hard it was to get the owners to agree. Uh, he asked if the traveling uh, became tiresome. He also asked if I've if I've planned a break from all of my projects. I think he's worried about me that I'm that I'm going to burn out. <laughs> I appreciate the concern. Uh, no, you know, to be honest, if anything, man, I'm like more energized than ever now that the movie is you know is finally done and the trailer's out there. Like I'm I'm, I'm excited. The thing with the traveling, I'm like, you actually like to travel. 
whereas I, by nature, don't. Uh, so it helped having you with me. Right, and I think you've become a better traveler um, over the past few years, even le- even before. I don't know that I would have signed off on, on this. <laughs> Not that you need my permission, but I don't know. that I may have had different feelings if I hadn't seen that development in your traveling habits or capabilities for lack of a better word um, so you handled it like a, like a champ really this time around but yeah if it were if it were um yeah earlier or you were in a different state of mind when we were traveling before this uh this long journey yeah i may have had different feelings like i don't know that there are many people who actually enjoy the literal travel piece of it, like getting on a plane or, I mean, I know some do, you know, like going through security. Right. Like, so I, I mean, I know when I say like, Oh, I don't like that part. I know most people are like, yeah, of course you don't like that part. Um, but I guess maybe in the past I've disliked it to such an extent (laughs) that it just made me not want to travel. But yeah, certainly our trips, uh, you know, helped me to kind of adjust my stance on that. And I think probably the biggest way in which you influenced me, I think, is I'm much more excited now about trying different restaurants in places that we go, you know, because I know that's something that, you know, you always enjoy. And I think that's kind of rubbed off on me now where, you know, and trying to find like maybe some of the more like hole in the wall, like local spots. Or off the beaten track. Yeah. Not the touristy or typical spots. Yeah. And we had, whether, whether it was uh, when we were completely out of town, or even when we went to places within the tri-state area, I mean, in most instances, we would get something to eat nearby, either before or after. So we got to try some uh, some cool uh, places over the course of filming, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, when we were in North Carolina, I mean, the barbecue is great. I know for people in the Carolinas, I know there's a bit of a divide between North Carolina and South Carolina in terms of, of the barbecue and which is better. As people from the north, it's like we're just happy to have uh, actual Decent southern barbecue. barbecue. Yeah, uh, so that was really terrific. And Jermaine uh, also turned us on to Hops, which is a burger place. Yes, uh, best in this- burgers in in Greensboro for sure. Maybe in the state. Hope that doesn't get me into trouble. But <laughs> I think they're pretty widely acclaimed and widely loved. So I don't think that's too risky to say. But a very unique restaurant uh, with kind of different types of burgers, different types of toppings, which I always appreciate, uh, you know, having something that's not just the norm that, you know, with creative chefs, um, that was really fun to try and had great food there. Uh, So we enjoyed that. When we were in Chicago, uh, we finally did get a deep dish pizza. Was it that time or the time before? It's all blurring together for me now. I think it was the time before. We did both times. Yeah. At different places. One time we ordered, now I think this was the first time we we went to one of the famous places, ordered a large for some reason because we thought, we figured, hey, we could almost finish a large pizza on our own in New York, not realizing that this would come out to be I don't know, a 20 pound pizza on the table. So we ended up sharing with other people in the (laughs) restaurant who were complete strangers. Um, But that was our good deed for that day. (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. And, but so the, I think the real highlight when we went to Chicago to film was, again, it was my birthday weekend. We have a tradition for both of our birthdays. We will usually do a steakhouse. So this year we went to Gallagher's uh, in Manhattan, which was fantastic. Uh, Morton's is typically like our, our, go-to, our go-to in Westchester. And, uh, but when we were in Chicago, we went to uh, the famous Gibson's 
And that was delicious. Yes. It was, it was very enjoyable. Impressive and um, yeah, great food, great service. And the largest piece of cake that you've ever seen. <laughs> or would want to see. <laughs> it was almost comical. Yeah. Uh, and that was another thing that was somewhat surprising, you know, coming from Westchester, New York and dining somewhat often in New York City as well, the prices and the quantity of food that you get and the quantity, the quality is not sacrificed by the quantity. So it was often a pleasant surprise, but sometimes like, how are we going to finish this? <laughs> like we don't have a mini fridge at the hotel. So, but, but it was, uh, it's a different experience. It was basically a quarter of a cake was the size of the slice. And like a 10 inch high cake, not a, a flat sheet cake. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what other food highlights from, from our journey? Um, probably the biggest um, or brightest, let's say highlight was in Santa Monica. Um, again, can't remember the exact name of the restaurant, but we had, it was a sushi restaurant and it was the first time you've had omakasa style sushi where they bring you just an, an assortment. We, we knew what would be coming out um, before we actually ordered, but um, you know, where they bring you out small portions at a time and you get what what's the best thing of that day. And it was absolutely delicious. Yeah, I mean, I went over these past few years, I mean, I've gone from not eating sushi at all to eating the special rolls, which have a lot of other stuff going on there besides the fish. So it kind of, you know, I think if you're looking to break into the world, break of sushi. into it, like that's that's a that's a good safe way to go to eating actual sushi where it's just the fish on the rice and then i've even done some sashimi where it's just the fish um but yeah that was that was really something else i mean we get good sushi here in new york i mean better than good i would say but when we've been to california and especially when we were in hawaii it's i mean it's just it's so it's amazing (laughs) it doesn't compare to be honest i mean i hate to say it but (laughs) it just doesn't taste like fish even it's uh it, it yeah so Thankfully, we were able to, part of me was concerned, especially after Hawaii, that, you know, it had kind of ruined <laughs> sushi for us here. Uh, but we were able to get back into our uh, sushi routine here uh, uh, pretty well. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, pretty much everywhere we went, uh, you know, we had some great meals. We were able to, we really didn't have much of an opportunity to do much um, exploration or sightseeing, really. Yeah, really not, not much at all. I mean, that's, Other than food, which was the most important part, arguably. This is true. <laughs> So, but anyway, going back to Cornell's question, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as whether or not it became tiresome, I mean, I think travel in general can be tiring, probably more so because there was the stress of getting everything done and getting quality content and hoping everything turned out all right. But to be honest, what was, what has been far more tire, tiring was the editing, uh, more than anything else. I'm kind of looking back on it. The filming was kind of the, I mean, I hate to say easy, but it was easier in a way because, you know, we would go to a place and yeah, it would be tiring for those couple of days, but then... You had great conversation. We had fun with a lot of the people who we were with. Yeah. I mean, there was that aspect of it. And then, you know, it's not like I, you know, we filmed over a period of months. It's not like every day I was going to a different place filming. So there was downtime in between. But when I really got into the serious, serious editing piece of this... Uh, you know, it was night after night of, you know, being up until two or three in the morning and spending so much time on, on getting everything just right. Uh, so that was probably the, you know, the more 
tiring part of it, to be honest, was was probably the editing. Oh, and I think the other thing that made the production a little more challenging was I continued to do the podcast, which I think when I told you my plans, you, you thought it was a little bit much. And in retrospect, you were probably right. No comment. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did, you know, while... You know, while we were filming, I was recording and, and releasing season four of the podcast. And on top of doing those regular episodes, I also launched a Patreon page and I started doing all this additional content, the Beyond My Comic Shop uh, episodes and book club episodes and the My Comic Shop History After Show. And part of it was like I was excited, like we were coming off of the Kickstarter and, you know, the, the campaign succeeded and I was getting ready to do the movie and I just, I was so galvanized and I guess I just wanted to kind of keep the momentum going and, and continue to grow. And I'm glad I did it. Like I'm, I've been very happy doing, you know, having the Patreon page out there and I really appreciate everyone who's, you know, everyone who has signed up for that. And I hope you've been enjoying uh, the extra content. I mean, my comic shop history has been on hiatus, but for people who are patrons, you've, you've been getting episodes <laughs> uh, all throughout the hiatus. So and there's a lot that's available just at the $1 level. But so I'm glad I did it, but it definitely it was a lot it was a lot to kind of <laughs> to kind of balance, yeah. Um as far as Cornell's other question, do I have a planned break from all of my projects? Not really. Um you know, again, the I just finished editing the movie last month in March. Uh, at this point now, I've I've put all the finishing touches on it. I'm I mean, you know, I'm done with my edit. The trailer's out there. Uh, in a moment, I'll talk more about next steps. But, you know, as far as the making of the movie, I mean, that's really done. But very shortly, I'm going to start recording uh, season five of, of my comic shop history. So we'll get right into that. But I suppose I will be kind of uh, trying to carve out some time where I'm not doing any recording or filming or anything like that, because we have uh, we do have some news so, you know, you're on the episode today, but in a way, we sort of have an unofficial uh, third participant. Yes, our son who will be joining us at the end of the summer. And it would be hard for you to record episodes with a crying baby in the background. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're very excited uh, to be welcoming our, our first child this summer. So, you know, I'll be recording pretty much all of season five before, <laughs> before the baby comes. And those episodes will continue to be released uh, into the fall. So the release schedule will be very similar to... Uh, to what's come before uh, in the previous seasons, but I uh, at a certain point I won't be recording. Everything will already be recorded. So I guess a little bit of a break from the projects, but it won't be a break, <laughs> really, because <laughs> I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna be have a our new hands project. Full. But uh, yeah, I mean we're so excited about that, and it's funny again. You know, the four year anniversary of this podcast. You know, when it started, I was you know we were dating, but I don't, I don't think we were even in engaged yet when I first started recording. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, we weren't living together. So we went from, you know, dating and living separately to being engaged and living together to being married uh, to now having a baby on the way. So, you know, it's been a lot of uh, life change over, you know, the, the four years that I've been doing the podcast, you know? So, uh, so again, not really much of a break. Uh, I think I'll have my hands full, uh, you know, with a lot over the months to come. So, oh, this was an interesting question. This was from Eric, one of our other uh, regular listeners. If my best friend came to me and said that he wanted to open a comic shop, uh, what would I tell him? What do you What do you think I would say? 
I'd say it can be a very rewarding experience, but you have to know what you're getting into. And you'd say, watch my movie <laughs> first. Yeah, I mean, so, right, so the easy, obvious, jokey answer is, I would tell them, don't do it, you know, but it's the sort of thing where, uh, and again, I think this kind of goes to, you know, the movie itself and the tone that I was, you know, trying to strike, which is, and, and I, I guess I feel like my my personal view of the comics retail industry actually served me well in making this movie because I feel like I, and not to sit on the fence, but I think I can sort of, you know, see multiple sides to it. I, I don't think that the system is necessarily built for success or for massive success. I think there are some very real inherent limitations in the way the direct market is set up. That being said, I think retailers do have a responsibility. And I think the retailers represented in this movie are have accepted that responsibility and are, and are taking steps to make their stores viable. And you see that in a few different ways. You see stores that have diversified uh, the products that they carry. And that actually becomes a bit of a debate in the movie between stores that have done that and stores that try to stick to a more uh, traditional view of what a comic shop is. And Funko Pops sort of become the lightning rod of that discussion. Um, but so, you know, there's stores that have diversified. There's stores that have really embraced events, you know, having midnight releases, having book clubs, having signings, stores that have specialized, stores that really focus on the high-end back issues or collectibles. Um, and these ideas are all represented in the trailer. The trailer really gives you the major beats of the movie. So, um, you know, one thing I'm, I'm very confident in saying is that the trailer is an accurate representation of the movie and the ideas explored uh, in the movie. Uh, but anyway, so so again, I think there are a lot of limitations to the direct market, but I think there are ways that retailers can overcome them. And I think in the movie, you see a lot of attempts to do that. Um, so I guess that's sort of my global view of it. So if someone came to me you know, there are a lot of X factors too. It's like, are you looking to do this as a fun thing on the side? Are you looking to make a living doing this? Where is it going to be? You know, the location is such a, such a big piece of all of this. Um, and if it's someone who, you know, uh, not that they necessarily have to have, uh, watched and listened to, to my stuff, but if they've done their research and they actually have an accurate view of what it entails and they actually have a plan, I mean, I feel like I would be supportive. Uh, I think that would be a, a lengthy conversation where we try to kind of unpack all of this. And um, but yeah, no, I don't think I would. I don't think my gut reaction would be like, no, don't do it. I think, you know, if you go about it in the right way and the smart way, you know, I would be supportive. Yeah, I think from the retailers that we spoke to, and I don't want to assume, but I think some of them literally said this, or at least alluded to it, that they didn't necessarily go into this business looking to become rich um you know or make their vast fortune but it's really about the passion that they have for it and they love what they do and they love going to their job every day even though it's not you know sitting in a store reading comics you know it is a lot of hard work but the people that they serve um their customers and what they're doing they they put 110 percent, if not more into it and i think that is so rewarding for them so it yeah like you said it depends what you're looking to get out of it and you just have to have realistic expectations of what the situation is 
uh, this other question is, how do we turn fans of the movies into comic shop customers? Boy, if I had the answer to that, I probably would open a comic shop. But, and again, I don't want to give away the movie, but there are, we have a couple of people who give, I think, a few very valid reasons and reasons that I didn't necessarily think about as to why it's not an automatic transfer of, of from one to the other. Like, you know, and, and basically what it comes down to is that it's a different medium. And so that idea is explored in the movie, and I thought that was interesting. Um, you do see in the movie, though, you see uh, All Yeah Comics and Mark Hammond set up at the Alamo Draft House movie theater uh, to sell Infinity War trade paperbacks and pops uh, before and after uh, the Infinity War movie. And so, you know, that's an example of a store trying to do exactly what this question asks. Like, how do you take that moviegoer and make them a comic book fan? So, you know, I guess something like that, setting up at a movie theater if you're able to, is one potential way. Uh, that's obviously smaller and more grassroots. But I think the, my question, and what I really don't know if, if this is the right answer, is like, whose responsibility is it? Like, should it be on the movie studios to get people into the comic shops? They have more resources. They probably could do it in a, you know, in a way that wouldn't be as burdensome as it would be to a comic shop. But is it their responsibility? And I don't know. Yeah, I mean... We see, you know, can you scroll through Facebook or, you know, watch TV live, but who does that anymore without seeing a, a commercial for a, a superhero movie? Um, but you don't see any, literally no trailers on TV or commercials on TV um, for comic books. But, you know, for a store to, to do that would, would not be financially feasible. Um, but yeah, that's a big question. That's one that I don't, uh, I don't know that anyone really has the answer to, you know? Um, and again, I think you're seeing, you know, uh, some grassroots efforts. I think something, a larger campaign, I don't know if that's something that comic shops could necessarily take on. And I don't know if it's necessary. I don't know whose responsibility it necessarily is. And I'm sure you could, you know, poll retailers and poll publishers and poll movie studios and you'll get a few different answers you know so at this point now uh the a lot of the questions that i've gotten and i'm excited i'm happy to get this question because i think it, it points to people being excited about the movie which is where and when and how can i see it <laughs> so uh at this point now again the trailer's out we did just a very small uh, little focus group screening of the movie at this point, uh, future screenings and ultimately distribution, that's all to be determined, and I will keep everybody posted. My goal is to find a proper home for this movie, uh, ideally on one of the major streaming platforms. I genuinely think that there would be an audience for this, and it would uh, fit uh, on one of those platforms, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. In the past, I've self-distributed my films uh, through Vimeo, and my, my previous three documentaries are all available to rent or buy on Vimeo. My goal is not to self-distribute this, mostly because I want it to reach as many people as possible, and I hope to be able to parlay this into whatever my next project might be, to sort of uh, build those relationships with, with whatever platform it ends up being, uh, and be able to kind of 
to go from there uh, and, and create new projects for them. So, you know, right now, I'm trying to get the trailer and the movie in front of the right people. I feel like it can't hurt to put this out there if anybody listening, you know, is able to help in any way, you know, I would certainly appreciate it. But, uh, you know, right now I am, you know, trying to grow my network and again, try to get the movie in front of the right people uh, to hopefully secure distribution for it. On, I guess, a more immediate level, I am, I am also uh, submitting the movie to a number of film festivals. Uh, it'll be a little while before I hear back from them, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to get some festival screenings on the books as well. And kind of on that note, I want to give a shout out to uh, one of our sponsors. It's a trio of film festivals all run by the same folks. It's the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island, the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, and Hang On to Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park. Uh, unfortunately, I can't submit my comic shop country to any of those fests because they all specialize in short films. Uh, but my short film by Spoon played at a couple of those festivals and they were really great. They're very well-run festivals. So, um, I do encourage people to check them out. Point Lookout is happening on April 24th. Hang on to your shorts is May 4th and 5th. And you can get tickets for those at, uh, Brown Paper Tickets. And then submissions are open for the next round of the Brightside Tavern Film Fest. So if you're a filmmaker and you want to submit your film, uh, again, you can submit to Brightside Tavern through Film Freeway. And uh, you, there's a discount code that I'm happy to share. It's SJRBright2019. Uh, so you can save some money on the film festival submission. And then if you want more information on any of those festivals, uh, you can go to their websites and social media platforms. And there's also the Hang On To Your Shorts podcast, which is celebrating its 50th episode. Uh, that's a shared universe podcast. You can also get it on SoundCloud. Uh, so we want to thank uh, those sponsors. And we mentioned Sean Hendricks. Uh, he's the clerk at Fat Moose Comics. Uh, Fat Moose is a new sponsor as well. I'd like to welcome aboard uh, the My Comic Shop history. Uh, well, not welcome aboard. They've been part of it already, but welcome them aboard uh, as a sponsor. Uh, so Fat Moose Comics is located at 53 Parsippany Road uh, in Whippany, New Jersey. And, you know, again, you've, you've heard them on the show before. Uh, but for those of you who, you know, have heard us talk about alternate realities and the friendship and fun that we had and, and, and all of that, I think it's fair to say, I mean, Fat Moose is probably the closest to that type of atmosphere. Uh, really a lot of fun. People hanging out on a Wednesday, uh, you know, just talking about comics and movies and TV shows and, and all of that. You see it in the documentary and, you know, I've seen it in person there. Um, and, you know, again, Sean and the other guys who, who work there and own the store, uh, they're really passionate about what they do and are super friendly. So I really do encourage you, uh, if you're in the Jersey area or if you're going to be passing through, uh, to check out Fat Moose Comics. Is there anything else, uh, that you would like to say about, uh, our journey, our travels? No, I mean, I think we've reflected, um, on, on the highlights, um, and the challenges, I'm just excited for the next part of the journey and, and what the future will bring. Yeah, uh, as am I. You know, it's funny because like along the way, you know, when I was filming, but especially when I was editing, you know, people were very nice. They would always say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I can't wait to see the movie. I'm excited for it. And I would say, me too. And I mean, I was, you know, partly joking, but but serious as well. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the the films that I've made and the podcast that I've put out, I mean, yes, I do them because I want an audience to find them and enjoy them, but also because I want to watch them and I want to listen to them. So 
you know, yes, I made the movie, but I'm also a viewer of the movie. And so, you know, to, to watch it come together uh, and, and to see it take shape, I mean, there were points along the way where, I don't know, it was, it was hard to see the finish line. Uh, it was so much, especially once I got to the editing, there was so much footage to work through that, you know, it was hard to imagine being at a point where the movie was done. And so to be here now, it just, it feels amazing. Uh, I'm so proud of the movie. I mean, I, again, I know it sounds very self-serving for me to say this, but it, it's, I guess, more than I thought it would be. I mean, it definitely exceeded my expectations, especially in terms of what I think it accomplishes, in terms of the range of stores that it shows, and in terms of uh, all of the issues and perspectives that the movie was able to incorporate. Um, really, I think, exceeded what, what I had in mind for it. So I'm really proud of it. I can't wait for more people to see it. Uh, you know, when we did the little screening, I mean, it's, that's always one of the best parts for me to be able to watch it with people. Uh, so I hope that through festivals and through other screenings that I'm able to have more opportunities to watch it with people. And I hope that I'm able to, to see this through to the ends that I want and that I'm able to get it on uh, to find a proper home for it because I genuinely think whether you're into comics or not, I think people would enjoy it. So that's what I'm going to be working on. And, you know, for people who want to keep up with the journey, uh, I do encourage you to sign up at my website, flatsquirrelproductions.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, Facebook can be a little wonky sometimes in terms of how many people see the posts and all of that. So uh, if you sign up for the newsletter, when there's news, you'll, you're guaranteed to, <laughs> to get that information via email. And uh, you know, for people who have, who have already done that, thank you. We had a ton of new people sign up, which was fantastic. And you know, if you're already subscribed to the podcast, thank you. If you're not, if maybe this is the first episode you're listening to, uh, I do encourage you to subscribe on either Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Season five that that'll start in June. Uh, Ten uh, biweekly episodes. Uh, that'll be season five. And uh, we're also in the midst of the Beyond My Comic Shop Never Stop Never Popping miniseries with Chris Wilcock from Undiscovered Realm. That's one of our Patreon-exclusive uh, miniseries. Uh, two episodes have already been released. Two more are coming, uh, April and May. Uh, so, you know, Chris has been on the show a bunch of times before. We always have great conversations. Uh, we've been talking about his entire journey from child <laughs> to the entrepreneur that he is today. So, you know, if you're looking for some more stuff to listen to, I really hope you'll, you'll consider signing up. There's also a relatively recent, uh, book club episode that came out, uh, back in January. Uh, we covered the Aquaman run by Jeff Johns. So, there's a lot of stuff that you can listen to uh, as you wait for season five and as you wait for release news on uh, on my comic shop country. Uh, but really, above all else, you know, Steph, I want to thank you, you know, so much, obviously for being on this episode, but also, you know, for all of your support throughout this journey. I know, you know, I've said this before, but it's like I I drive myself crazy with this stuff, you know, thinking about it and talking about it. So, you know, I can only imagine what it's what it's like to you know, to, to have to listen to it. So, you know, I, you know, I appreciate all of the patience and, and everything it really means a lot. It was my pleasure. You didn't drive me crazy with it. And it's fun. We've had great discussions and a great adventure along the way. Exactly. And our, our biggest and best adventure is yet to come. Uh, so, you know, thank you to you and, and really thank you to everyone who has listened and become a, a patron and a Kickstarter backer and anyone who's 
liked and commented and shared on social media. I mean, anyone who's been a part of this journey, uh, certainly everyone who's been on the show as a guest and everyone who's been been in the documentary, uh, you know, really for being part of this this journey over these past few years and going back 10 years, you know, <laughs> the alternate realities crew uh, who, who helped me get this thing started uh, with the first documentary. Uh, you know, I've really loved telling these stories and I hope to be able to, con- to continue to tell uh, these stories and new stories uh, in, in the years ahead. So keep an eye and ear out for season five of My Comic Shop History coming this June. Until then, don't be a flat squirrel. Thank you.